All right, let's turn to the book of 1 Timothy again, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and I remind you that we are uh, in a series uh, entitled A Charge to Keep, and uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 again, and while you're turning there, uh, let me again thank you for uh, praying for my wife and ask that you continue to do so, and all your acts of kindness, the cards and uh, the, the me different meals and uh, certainly, I appreciate uh, your concern for her. She is a big reason uh, why I'm able to do everything that I'm able to do. Um, she's always laughed and made fun of me. We, we can live someplace for a long time, and I still don't know where anything goes or where anything is. And she's like, can you grab? And I'm like, okay. No, not that one. You know, you know, but she just takes care of everything, and uh, so uh, I certainly appreciate your prayers for her, and I appreciate your extra prayers for me, because uh, as I just mentioned to you, I don't know where anything is, and so it's added pressure on me. I'm just thankful my, my girls are old enough to dress themselves, because there's no telling what they would look like. As I think about it, there's still no telling what they uh, will look like, but uh, I certainly appreciate your prayers for her, uh, your concern, your care, and I appreciate the extra prayer for me uh, as well during this time with all the different decisions with the building program and uh, moving uh, forward in that, and uh, certainly exciting days to be a part of. Uh, a Charge to Keep is the title of our series, and if you miss one of these Wednesday nights, let me encourage you to go back to our website. Uh, download our podcast, go pull up the app, uh, whatever means uh, available to you, and watch the Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, these different messages certainly build on each other. They're independent of each other, uh, but certainly they tie in to one another. Uh, Paul uh, committing a charge to Timothy. And I remind you before we read the text tonight that uh, Paul points out to Timothy in this chapter that he has received a charge that something has been committed to him. It's the gospel. It, it's, it's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It was committed to him by whom? It was committed to him by Jesus Christ himself. And then Paul is now saying, now, Timothy, I am committing this to you, which we pointed out a couple of weeks ago. It is the same as if Jesus had committed it to Timothy. He committed to Paul, and then Paul turned and committed to Timothy. And I believe uh, that is the seriousness that Timothy took that commitment. Now, we are a long way removed from Timothy. That Might I remind us tonight, we should take our responsibility just as seriously as Timothy did, just as seriously as Paul did, because ultimately the gospel we have came from Jesus Christ. The doctrines we hold to came from Jesus Christ. That's why, and I'm, and, I, and I'm sure you concur with me tonight, what I believe about this book is not up for discussion. It's not up for sale. It is to me as if the Lord Jesus Christ handed it to me himself because he did. We should all, and one of the things that's hurt us as Christians and hurt us in our churches is the, but the casual care at which we approach the gospel the casualness at which we approach the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, aren't all the churches the same? Uh, well, first of all, find out. Uh, second of all, let me help you, save you some time. They're not. Uh, and everything that we, 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 we come back to is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we should hold to. It is a charge to us, and I'll remind us of what exactly that means, but just to review a little bit, and then that personal charge to Timothy. So Paul understood the responsibility that he had. It was charged or committed to him, so now he commits it to Timothy. If you think back to last Wednesday night, uh, we looked at the personal nature of that charge in the first part of this chapter. It was a personal challenge, a, a personal thing from Paul to Timothy, and how it was very personal. Tonight, I want us to look beginning at verse number 11, and we'll read down through verse number 16 of 1 Timothy chapter number 1. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, <clears throat> that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer <coughs> and a persecutor and injurious, and, but I obtained mercy 
because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. We're going to look at all, all of these verses tonight, but I want to draw your attention again to verse number 11. According to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Tonight we're going to study and look at uh, charged with the gospel. Uh, Paul was charged, given a charge. It was committed to him. He passed that to Timothy. What was it? The gospel. The charge with the gospel, the charge of the gospel. Father, I pray tonight that you'd help us as we look at your word. I pray that uh, you would uh, give us wisdom. May the Spirit of God teach us, instruct us. Father, may we take seriously the charge that is given to us. May we take seriously uh, the, the care of the gospel. And Father, may we be reminded of some truths. May we learn some things that perhaps we haven't looked at before. But Father, may Christ be honored through this. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I remind you of the definition of a charge. As we look at this series and we keep focusing week after week on a charge to keep, the charge that uh, Paul had committed to him but then committed to Timothy. Uh, charge can be defined as that which is engaged, committed, entrusted, or delivered to another. It implies care, custody, oversight, or duty to be performed by the person entrusted. And I know I've gone over this definition uh, every single week. I think it's important for us to continue to do so. Uh, this, look at verse number 18, this charge I commit unto thee. What was he saying? Uh, it, it's being entrusted to you. It's being delivered to another. So from Paul to Timothy. Paul has had the care. He, now he's passing it to Timothy. Uh, what does it imply? It implies care, custody, oversight. So it's not something I'm supposed to, okay, great, thanks, and set it aside. It's something that I'm supposed to have care of. It's something I'm supposed to have custody of. This is to be in my possession. It's something that I have oversight, a duty to be performed by the person entrusted. When Timothy, or when Paul passed this to Timothy, uh, Timothy understood because it was charged to him, it was committed to him, that he was entrusted with this. My, wouldn't it help us if we as Christians looked at the gospel in that regard? I've been trusted with this. As, as, as churches, we have been entrusted uh, with the care, with the gospel. And so that is what they charge, and that charge with the gospel. Uh, we are not charged with the dogma of man. Uh, we are not charged with the doctrines of churches. We are not charged with uh, a, a feel-good uh, gospel. We are charged with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remind you in verse number 11, look at it again. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. It is God's gospel. Because it's His, I should not tinker with it. Because it's His, I should not change it. Because it's His, I do not have a right to soften it so that the world will be more ready to receive it. No, it is His gospel. It came from Him, and you and I need to be reminded of whose gospel it is. We preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why in the world would we make the commitments we make if it was not His gospel? Why in the world would we make the sacrifices that we make if it was not His gospel? Why in the world would we, 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 we keep the schedule we keep and keep the focus we focus if it was not His? I remind you, it is His. That's why we do what we do. That's why we, we are as committed as we are. That's why we're here on a Wednesday night so that we can learn more how to propagate that gospel. That's why we make the commitments we make because it is His gospel. As a preacher of the gospel, I understand what it means to stand behind this pulpit and others and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When you and I, when we share the gospel with someone else, it is not your gospel, it is not my gospel, it is not the Baptist church's gospel, it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of the blessed God. It is His gospel. I remind you what verse number 11 says when Paul says, which was committed to my trust. There was no greater responsibility that Paul had. None. That's why Paul was willing to go to prison for it. That's why Paul was willing to be on the outside of the religious world. That's why Paul was willing to lose his life for the gospel. It was God's gospel, and he was committed to it. Everywhere. You, you, you recall the, 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 the life of Paul and what the book, book of Acts tells us about Paul. And you get a sense from the letters he wrote. Paul was all about the gospel. Paul was not concerned with his own ministry. He was concerned about the propagation of the gospel. Paul was about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was committed. Jesus had committed it to his trust. That's his testimony to Timothy. He took his responsibility seriously. You know what happened in this world if every child of God took the responsibility with the gospel seriously? We'd reach the world. I mean, that's what the church has been committed to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is to reach the world. So, oh, there's no way the world will ever be reached. That doesn't mean it's not able to be reached. God does not command, you cannot name one thing God commands us to do that he will not enable us to do. So the world would be reached if, if Christians took the care of the gospel with the same commitment as the Apostle Paul. Well, think about that for a moment. How committed are you to the blessed gospel of God? How committed are you to the care of the gospel? With well, something that's been entrusted to us. Maybe you're, you're, there, you're, you're, you're listening tonight and you say, Oh, that, that's Paul. I'm glad it wasn't me. I remind you, you'd establish that precedent that Paul had it committed to him by, by Jesus himself. He committed to Timothy. Timothy committed to someone else. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 reminds us it's faithful man to faithful man. Somebody was faithful to tell you of the gospel. You received the gospel, therefore it was committed unto you. Who are you passing the gospel on to? Who are you charging with the gospel? You've got to receive that charge before you can hand it off. It's about the commitment. It was committed to his trust. I want to emphasize this before I get into the outline. It won't take me long to get through the outline tonight. But I want to emphasize this because I want us to realize the importance of what it is the church has been entrusted with. I'm not against social activities. We have them. As we get more and more established, we're going to have more of them. We, we have proven, it's been proven to us over the last several years, you don't have to have church picnics. We do have the gospel we're supposed to get out. Now, we're going to have picnics. Some of you can stop sweating. We're going to have them again. But what's most important is the gospel. I wonder what would happen. I mean, don't we have the, the, the gospel? We, we have the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the truth. So many do not have the truth. Why is it that we have the truth and, so, and many times as a people we're the least committed to it? Why is it that Mormons who do not have the truth are more committed with their damnable heresy than we are God's gospel? Now, I'm not a Mormon, never have been. Don't spend much time with them. But I wonder if their young people whine and rebel like Baptist young people do at going on a two-year missionary journey. 
Pastor, I can't give one semester to Bible college. While Mormons are taking two years and more to spread their heresy. Pastor, this is what that Bible says. It's uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable. How committed are we? Those that have been deceived by Islam, they are willing to not just blow themselves up, but to martyr others for the sake of their damnable heresy. And yet, God's people have a hard time. I just don't want, I gotta find me a different church. I'd be more comfortable. There's always pressure of, of, of we gotta go soul winning. We gotta, gotta serve and we got we gotta give the missions, we gotta give all these things and all the bus routes and all these things. Well, how, why is it that we have the gospel and we we put that commitment aside, and those that do not have the truth are more committed than we are? I, I as I'm on this line of thought, I, I recall actually being in Israel last year and those Orthodox Jews. Man, if they would wear their... I mean, if you wear your sideburns where you got to curl them, you're committed. We're taking that long flight over. And in the middle of the night, you have them up and they're standing in the aisles reciting their prayers. Uh... What's the point? The point is they're committed to something that's going to send them to hell. And yet we have the gospel. And we don't have the commitment that we should have. Paul realized it was committed to his trust. Paul had the mindset that if, if, it's, not, if it's up to me, if, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. All, I imagine some in this day, if they were like today, might would say, well, Paul, you can't win the whole world, but he's going to give his life trying. He's going to give his life doing what he could because he realized they had been committed to his trust. May we as a church, we may not be able to win the whole world, but may we spend our lives trying, doing everything that we can because it has been committed to us. It's his gospel, the gospel of the blessed God, and it was committed to his trust. Now, I'm going to get off of the introduction tonight, but before I do, I want, I want you to ask yourself as we get into this, and I want to let the Spirit of God continue to ask you, how committed are you to the gospel? How committed are you to it? May we be more committed to it in the future. I'm going to remind us by the outline tonight of why the gospel is so blessed and so important um, besides the fact that it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, I'm going to make four statements to you. Number one, it is a glorious gospel. We see our text tonight, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. It's hard to just describe the gospel as the gospel. The gospel in itself is an amazing thing, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that's significant because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He paid the sin debts of mankind. You do realize tonight, and I know you do, that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was a substitutionary death. He accepted your punishment and my punishment and the punishment of mankind. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't have to die, but He was willing to die so that you and I might be saved, so that you and I might have eternal life. In death and hell could not hold him. That tomb could not hold him. He came out victorious, the book of Revelation tells us, with the, with the keys to death and hell. The gospel is wonderful. Matter of fact, Paul says it's glorious. That, that definition of glorious, it's of exalted excellence and splendor. It's an exalted gospel. It's an excellent gospel. It's, it's a gospel of splendor. It is a glorious gospel. You think about the gospel, you and I, we should never get over the gospel. We should never get over being saved. We should never get over the thought 
that, that, that God left heaven, put on flesh, lived on this earth as a man, never sinned, never had any failures, and went to the cross of Calvary to die for mankind. That is a wonderful thought. It is an exalted gospel. It is the only thing that can save. Paul, in the previous verses, he refers to the law. In many of his other epistles, he referred to the law more. But the law that the man lived by did not reach the status of the gospel. Matter of fact, the law would condemn men to hell. It was the glorious gospel. It freed men from the law. Why is it glorious? Just very practical and very simple because of its origin. I remind you where the gospel came from. It came from heaven. It came from God. Anything that God is involved in is a wonderful thing, and there's nothing that God was more involved in than the gospel. And Paul, when he speaks of the gospel in chapter number 1 of 1 Timothy, he talks of, uh, in verse number 1, he mentions he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's going to mention several times through this book uh, whose the gospel it is, where the gospel came from. He reminds us in verse number 11, it's the glorious gospel of the blessed God. It is, a, it is a glorious gospel because of its origin. It's a wonderful thing to have your sins paid for. And what puts it even in a, in a greater perspective is God himself designed it so that you and I could be saved. It is glorious because of its origin. It's also glorious because of its work. All right, how many of you tonight are saved? Man, look at that. Especially looking around and seeing some of you, that's pretty good work. Truth of the matter is, it's a good work for all of us. Whether you were saved out of the gutter or saved out of the church Sunday school class, you were, you were on your way to hell, sin was taking you there, and it was, just the, it was the gospel that saved you. It was not the church that saved you. It was not a man that saved you. It was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a work it has done. It's glorious because of where it came from, but it's glorious because of what it did. Think about it. In that moment... In that moment before you put your faith in the gospel, your eternity was hell. And in that moment that your heart recognized and you put your faith in what Jesus did, your eternity was changed to heaven. In that moment, your record in heaven was changed. It was your record which you earned, and in that moment that you were saved, it became the record of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a glorious gospel. It's an excellent gospel. It's exalted because of where it came from. It's exalted because of its work. I was thinking about this today. This might help us define just how glorious the gospel is. Think about what the gospel displays or Think about what the gospel reveals about God. It certainly reveals His wisdom, but it reveals His justice. Realize God is a just God. And when you and I sinned, somebody had to die to satisfy His justice. This this religion that Man has embraced, no matter whether they put a denominational tag on it or just the, the religion of humanism, well, I just don't believe God will do that. I just believe if I, I, can, I can do enough good works to get me to heaven, you don't understand the justice of God. When, when a sin is committed, there has to be a payment. Is justice. So what, what, what is the gospel? It fulfills His justice. Sin has to be paid for. So Jesus went to the cross and paid for sin, and it satisfied God's justice. It satisfied His holiness. Because it's because of His holiness, God will not accept sin. It's because of His holiness, there had to be a sin payment. But it also illustrates and puts on full display His love. 
But God went through all those things. Jesus, He sent His only begotten Son to pay your sin debt, to pay my sin debt. Let me remind you that when He's on the cross, He took your record on. He took the record of every sinful man. He took that on Himself. Boy, God certainly loves us. It's a glorious gospel. It's a gospel that does all those things. Paul describes it as a, is a glorious gospel. See why it's important for us to understand what's been committed to us? Because it's glorious. Nothing measures up to it. Lighting a thousand candles, almost said camels, lighting a thousand candles, some of you would have related better to that, lighting a thousand candles, and praying a hundred Hail Marys isn't going to get you to heaven. But the glorious gospel will. It's glorious. How many, we all fall short, but the gospel is just so glorious. That's, can't we see why Paul took it so seriously? May we be reminded tonight of why we must take it so seriously? Because it is not just another belief system or a, another doctrinal uh, dialogue of, of, of a religion. It is the glorious gospel. Not only is it a glorious gospel, number two, it's a transforming gospel. Let's continue reading in verse number 12. We're going to get a greater, we're going to get another sense, another reminder of why Paul thought it was glorious. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Notice verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer? Okay, get the picture. Paul, the apostle. Paul, the preacher. Paul, the missionary. Paul, the church planner, is writing to his son in the faith. Think about this. All Timothy ever knew was the apostle Paul. All Timothy ever knew was the, the Paul empowered by the Spirit of God in such a way that his ministry was unlike any other ministry. All he knew was the preacher had come and at, while he was a young man, had, had, had ministered to him and had ministered in his home and, and had taken him under his wing and had trained him and they had served together. They had gone to put it in our vernacular, door-to-door soul winning together. They had taught a, a class together. <clears throat> they would go into another town and evangelize together. That is the only Paul that Timothy ever knew. Can you imagine what Timothy must have been like, how intimidated he must have been to, to, be, be, to, to be trained at the feet of the Apostle Paul? Well, man, Paul, I mean, what a privilege What a privilege to be in ministry with Paul, but how intimidating. Yeah, I've seen how you've been committed to it, but I I don't know if I can do that, Paul. Uh, Paul just, just is so dedicated to the cause of Christ. But he reminds Timothy, yes, I'm in the ministry, but who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in in unbelief. Paul reminded Timothy, and Paul allowed himself to be reminded of what he was before. You know, I imagine one reason why Paul took his commitment so seriously is he never got too far removed from what he was before. He never forgot what he was before. Now, he moved on from it as every child of God should do, but he was reminded of what Jesus did for him. And next time you don't want to be as committed to the gospel, won't you remind yourself that you were, you were on your way to hell, you couldn't help yourself, you couldn't save yourself, but it was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that changed you. And whether you were saved out of this world, or as I've already mentioned, out of the church nursery, no matter, sin was sin that was going to send you to hell either way. And you were lost and undone. But for God's only son, he realized it was a glorious gospel. It was a transforming gospel. He said, who was before? What a thought. 
I wonder if Timothy is like, I just can't see it, Paul. I can't, because all I've known you as is Paul. But we know that there were some who were living that day, they remembered Saul. They remembered the persecutor. They remembered the one who put the followers of Jesus to death. They remembered the blasphemer. The blasphemer who would say that Jesus, and this is why he would put them to death, Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. It was Jesus, by the way, that's a blasphemer. And no matter what denominational tag you put on yourself, if, if that's your gospel, you're a blasphemer. Who was before a blasphemer. But he was transformed. Paul was such an example of two extremes. If you were to go to the end of the spectrum of what a lost man was, that was Paul. That was Saul the murderer. That was Saul the wicked one. He was the one who took lives, and after the transformation, he would give his life. That's what the gospel can do. And friend, next time you're feeling weary and well-doing, and next time you wonder if it's worth the, the, the commitment, or you, or you don't want to count the cost, let me remind you what the gospel's done for you. I mean, you, you, I don't have to give you my testimony. You know my testimony. I was saved just a couple months shy of my fifth birthday. I've grown up in church, second-generation preacher, called to preach when I was six years of age. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to be saved out of this world. But, friend, I've seen enough of this world to know what salvation saved me from, what it kept me from. It's a transforming gospel. That's why we must hold the committed to that. That's why you should never let it go. That's why you as a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church ought to do all you can to propagate the gospel, to, to hold the gospel, to be committed to the gospel, to pass it to another generation, to do everything we can to strengthen the work of God. Why? Because it transformed you. It changed you. But if it would do that for you, it would do it for somebody else. And that person I work with, they just, not me, I'm using a hypothetical. They're just this and they're just this. Imagine what the gospel would do for them. I, I, I don't know, we live in a world where you can't ever get away from what's going on in this world because of technology and smartphones and all of that. But sometimes it's high, just this, the things in this world, imagine what the gospel would do. We would, you would think. I, I, I hate to bring logic in it from time to time. I just, I just assume common sense is still common, but it's really not. You would think we would see what's going on in our world. You would think we would see what's going on in our own nation. You'd think we'd see what's going on in Jacksonville, Florida, and in our neighborhoods, and our communities. And we, as generally speaking, as Christians that have been transformed who had the gospel committed to us, would be like, we can do something about this. How much does our world need the gospel? Well, it would transform. But yet, because of the way the world is, we just kind of shrug our shoulders and, well, the next election's not too far away. Friend, you've had the gospel committed to you. It would transform. And we all have struggled with this. We've got to put our humanity down sometimes. We've got to put our patriotism down sometimes and look at the, I know, I know what I just said, and look at the gospel and what it would do for man. It'll transform them. But it's been committed. It's a transforming gospel. This is why we must be, accept that charge, and we must be committed to it, hang on to it. 
Friend, without the gospel, this world has no hope. No hope. Without the gospel, our, our city has no hope. Our neighborhoods have no hope. No hope. It's the gospel. What's the greatest thing we need? We need the gospel. It is a transforming gospel. Number three, it is an abundant gospel. Look at verse number 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That word abundant means more than enough. And describing the grace of our Lord, the word abundant means more than enough, but yet the word exceeding is put before abundant. It's more than enough, more than enough. It's exceeding abundant. Think about why the gospel is so important. Well, think about, well, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know why it's important. But all these reasons of why we ought to be committed to keeping it. We ought to be committing to sharing it. We ought to be committed to praying for laborers to share it. We ought to be committed to, for, for hard hearts to be softened so that the seeds of the gospel can be planted. We ought to be praying that Somebody would come along and don't ever discount you just getting to plant a seed, by the way. We ought to pray that God will send somebody along to water that. Or to send somebody along to, to reap that harvest. But it's that gospel that we're committed to. Why is it so important? It's an abundant gospel. It's more than enough and certainly was true. You think of the grace of our Lord. What is the gospel? It's a gospel of grace. You and I didn't deserve the gospel. We know that. No man deserves the gospel. By the grace of God. That grace is more than enough. The gospel is more than enough to do what? To save the greatest sinner. I'll say, say more about that in just in a moment. But Paul was pretty wicked. Saved him. To, to go along with the same point I made just a few moments ago, we, we live in a wicked world. Wicked, evil world. Evil. But God's grace is exceeding abundant. The gospel can save the greatest sinner. It's enough. No matter, you think of the worst sinner you know besides your husband. Think of the worst sinner you know. Somebody needs to be saved. You know the gospel is more than enough to save them? You know, the pro, you know Jesus didn't strain when you got saved. It was more than enough. But it was abundant enough to save not just the greatest sinner, but all sinners. I have crazy thoughts from time to time. I'm not sure if y'all understand that yet. Um, but think about this. How many billions of people there are in the world? Of the world population, population think about how many billions are unsaved. And if every lost person in this world in the billions fell under Holy Spirit conviction at the same moment and put their faith and trust in Christ for salvation at the same moment. You know what would happen? In that instant, they'd all be saved. In that instant, they'd all be secured. In that instant, their eternity from hell would be to heaven. In that instant, their record in heaven would be changed. If, if every man that was alive that was lost in that moment fell in their Holy Ghost conviction and trusted Christ, you say, why, why do you bring that out? I think about that. How abundant is the gospel? How abundant is salvation? How abundant is God's grace that if every lost man at one moment cried out for salvation, it would be more than enough to save every man. 
That's the kind of gospel Paul was talking about. That's why he held it so close. That's why he wouldn't give it up. That's why with the threats, he would, he would ignore them. With the imprisonments, it would never change him because it was a gospel that was a more than enough. That's why you find him at the feet of Felix when Felix was about to send him to Rome. And what did he do? He didn't plead his case. He didn't say, let me out. He gave him the gospel because he knew that's what he needed. Everywhere he went, he held to the gospel. He would give the gospel to those Jews. He would go into these pagan cities that built their idols. And what was it about? It was the gospel. It was more than enough. That's why he was so committed to it. Then I give you number four. It is a merciful gospel. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy. That in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them. Which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. It's a merciful gospel. What a wonderful verse, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul testifies. He says, of whom I am chief. There's not a greater sinner than I was. There's nobody who did more wicked things than I did. He's already given his testimony. He was a blasphemer, persecutor, injurious, put people to death. We know he was holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. That's who he was. It would take a merciful God to save somebody like that. Take a merciful God to save somebody like us. But he says, I'm the chiefest sinner. It's a merciful gospel. Friend, aren't you thankful? God's mercy is greater than your sins. Greater than my sins. And by the way, don't let the devil cause you to doubt your salvation. God's mercy is greater than your sin. God's mercy is greater than the sins of this world. It's a merciful gospel. He says, I'm the chiefest sinner. Certainly that's the focus we want to have, but there's another truth here that I have to bring out from this point, being a merciful gospel. He alludes to it in verse number 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You know, no matter what your testimony was before you got saved, the gospels it's a merciful gospel, correct? He can use your testimony after saving you to speak to the life of somebody else who is just like you so that they might be saved. The life we live before our salvation, the life we live before Christ saved us is a life that is under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that matter, uh, when we decide after, after our salvation, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to press forward, God can use that which we were saved out of to be a testimony. I think if you'll allow me to use myself as a personal illustration, I think God has given me the ability to be a good testimony to your children and to your grandchildren as they grow up in church. Because their testimony is like my testimony. I mean, I, I grew up in church. The church nursery. The church kindergarten. Sunday school. 
children's church, youth group. I graduated from Berean Christian Academy. I'm not going to remind you what year, but I did. I mean, I, I have grown up in church. So I believe it is a powerful testimony, and I hope the children and the teens and the young people will listen to their pastor when I say, I have never missed anything by not going and giving the best years of my life to this world. I haven't missed a thing. I have no regrets. I don't look back now that I'm 47 years of age and say, oh, I missed out. I thank God I missed out on all of that. I was not perfect by any stretch, but I didn't have to go. I hope you'll listen to my testimony. I've seen those who, who I grew up with. I've seen those who I went to the teen group with. I've seen those who said, I'm gonna, I hear what everybody's saying, but I'm going to go find out for myself. And they're still out there in many cases, wrecked in ruin. I hope you'll listen to my testimony. I was saved before I was five years of age. I haven't doubted. Look what God has done. I hope you'll let me, my testimony be an example to you. But not everybody here has got that testimony. Can I tell you who's the most effective when you run into somebody who was like you were before you got saved? I've had people say it to me. Well, you don't know what it's like. No, I don't. But I know that Jesus will save the worst sinner. And you need to, don't listen to me, but listen to what God says. But you know what, what it's like. There's an, and I thank, I thank the Lord that God has allowed me to use my testimony to not just help those in this church, but... Many times I've gotten phone calls from other pastors. Would you, would you talk to, to my son? Would you talk to my grandson? Would you talk to... to the, and I'm glad that I could do that because there's an instant connection. But you run into somebody that was living like you were living. Or you bump into that old crowd and they're like, what happened to them? God will use your testimony in places he won't use my testimony. God will use your life as a pattern. Now, friend, we ought to all be ashamed of every sin we've ever committed. The little white lie to the Sunday school teacher is no different in God's eyes than the debauchery that, that man can partake in this world. A sin is a sin, and it will send somebody to hell. But, and we ought to thank God He saved us from all of that. But if you didn't have the opportunities that others have had, only the mercy of God would save you from that and then allow that which you wish had never taken place in your life to preach a message to the others like you. You think it ever kept Paul up at night, the things he used to do? I'm sure the Apostle Paul didn't struggle with that. I'm sure the Apostle Paul did struggle with that. But the Apostle Paul understood that I was before, and now I'm not. He understood that that's under the blood of, of Christ. He understood before, the whole, he understood the doctrines of salvation and what it meant. But he reminds Timothy of the commitment that's entrusted to him, that gospel. It's a merciful gospel. It not only saved me the chiefest sinner, now, what I believe Paul is also saying in there, it's the mercy of God that he didn't just send me to hell. It's the mercy of God that he didn't just strike me dead. It's the mercy of God he met me on that Damascus road to save me, not to destroy me. It's his mercy. Because he's already pronounced what he was. He already pronounced he was the chief of sinner. It's his mercy that he saved us, his mercy that he didn't just destroy me. He let my life be a testimony, a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, life everlasting. If we would get a hold of this gospel like we should, there's somebody out in this world that would look at you and say, man, God can do that in their life. 
I guess God can do that in my life. If God can save them, God can save me. See, the charge to keep the gospel, it is the most important charge. What it did for you, it will do for others. And failure to keep the charge of the gospel as we should results in eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. This charge I commit unto thee. He committed, he received the God, he received salvation, he, re, he had that charge from Jesus himself. He says, now Timothy, I'm, I'm committing to you the charge of the gospel. We don't have time tonight, we'll look at it another time, but when he speaks in verses 6 through 10 of all those who lead the gospel and all those who, wicked, wicked men, and he, and he tags on anything that's against the doctrine. See, that's why doctrine is important because ultimately it's going to hinder or stand in the way of the gospel. It starts with the gospel. I leave us with this and it ought to convict all of us. How committed are we to it? How committed are we to it? Well, I just, I just don't want to... I just want to let my kids make their decisions. I don't want to push them in, in that way. Okay, they're five. You can probably lean on them a little bit. I wonder if Mormon parents have that same mindset. Think, you think about what's going on in the Middle East right now. with Israel and Palestine, codename Hamas, terrorist. Uh, they're, they're, they're in it. They exist. And their religion teaches to, that first they're going to they have to destroy Israel, and then anybody else who does not convert, they'll destroy them as well. And what, what is the name that sometimes put to them? Well, they're just zealots. I think there's somewhere in the New Testament that talks about being a zealot for the gospel. Imagine what would happen if we, who had the truth, matched the fanaticism of those who are holding to damnable doctrines. Well, I want to be faithful. The study has helped me because it reminds me of that which has been committed to me. I trust that tonight it reminds all of us that we have a responsibility to the gospel. Father, I pray that